Welcome to the Have a Drink with Some Geeks podcast. Here is your geeky hosts, Adam and Matt. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Have a Drink with Some Geeks podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Adam. And thanks for tuning in this week. This is episode seven. Episode seven. Episode seven. We're going to be talking about, um, for this entire month, since it's October, we're going to do a Spooktober for you guys. Spooktober. And we're going to bring up, uh, over the course of the month, four spooky movies. We're not going to talk about which ones they are yet. We'll let you guys kind of tune in each week and see what we're going to talk about. Um, we're not going to do any modern, modern ones like the new Saw or Paranormal or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we, we may mention something like, oh yeah, we have, like, I know there's a new Hellraiser coming yeah. out, but we might just... Or Halloween, yeah. Mention that as we go along, but we're uh, we're going to kind of stick with some classics. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You guys obviously know where to find us on Apple, Spotify, and all our major uh, podcast playlists. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we could use some more followers on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Yep, all those. Follow us at Geek Drink Pod. We're, uh, we're starting to do a little more posting on there. Um, besides just our normal episodes of the week, we're, we're, we're working on getting some more some more content up there for you guys. And that's a great way for you guys to leave comments on the episode. Tell us what you think and what you guys want to hear from us. Yeah, absolutely. We, we'd love uh, any suggestions. Um, if there's something you'd like us to talk about, please, uh, yeah, please, please leave us a comment. We'd love to be exposed to some new, uh, new and different things if it wasn't on our uh, list to begin with. Yeah. So with that being said, Adam, how about you, uh, we talk about our drink of the week. It's time for those boys to have a drink. Let's hear about their drink of the week. Take it away, geeks. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, the Schilling Hard Cider. It's the Passport Pineapple Passion Fruit Hard Cider. All right. Um, I've had a few um, from this company, Schilling. Um, They've been... Yeah, I've really like, decent. Um, they have a really good chider. Chider? Chai cider. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it took, took me a second. Um, but no, I've, I've liked the fact that they do um, kind of different mm-hmm. stuff. It's not just your traditional apple cider. So, yeah, so hey, cheers, cheers, brother. Ooh, that's, that's tasty. It's really good. It's a uh, unfiltered cider, which I actually kind of prefer, just because you don't get all that chemically filtered taste. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, well, I really like that. All right, well, folks, um, you know we've had our drink, we've talked about ourselves and what we're doing this month, so it's time to bring up our topic of the week. What are we going to talk about this week? All right, so topic of the week uh, this week, Adam selected the film. We're gonna be talking about so uh adam take it away yeah so i'm I'm picking one of my favorite horror films of all time uh it's john carpenter's the thing um i'm actually wearing my uh the thing t-shirt uh it's the outpost and it says mccready on the back as pilot um it's uh i've actually really loved this film for gosh since i was a teenager i probably shouldn't have seen it back when i was that young (laughs) But um, it's been one of my favorite films just in terms of as a good horror film, but also as a uh, 
an excellent film with um, amazing practical effects. So um, I definitely wanted to kick off Spooktober with a uh, solid entry. And uh, we're not going to really talk about the, the prequel that they made. Or the new sequel that came out, what, in 2011? Or it, that, it's technically yeah, a prequel. Yeah, it's a prequel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, this movie came out in 1982. Um, so, yeah. Um, like, uh, when we weren't really around, so... Pre, pre, pre us. Yes. Um, but uh, I definitely want to say, uh, like, to quote my favorite character, Mac, first goddamn week winner. But it takes place uh, 1982 in Antarctica. Yeah. Um, it's about a, uh, a group of, uh, American blue collar workers and also some scientists that work at um, the base, yeah. work at this, uh, this forward base, um, when a group of Norwegians are, come upon them chasing after a dog and <laughs> the dog is not what you think it is. Yeah, you know, and we, I guess we'll start with that first piece, Adam. You're kind of telling me, you know, and I've seen the movie recently again just to, to catch up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were telling me that if you, if we actually, if you saw the literal translation of the Norwegians chasing the dog in the helicopter, it actually kind of gives away some stuff in the movie. Yeah, so when, when they actually land um, and uh, the Norwegians are screaming at the Americans after they, uh, after they've been shooting at them. They're saying, like, pretty much they're saying, like, get away from the dog, like, it's not what you think it is, blah, blah, blah. But since none of the characters speak Norwegian, and Mac famously um, keeps calling them Swedish, um, but um, it's, uh, they, they're actually warning them about the plot of the film. Um, and to give you a heads up, so this is actually, this one is actually a remake of... The Thing from Another World, which came out, I believe, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that one was more of a classic kind of Frankenstein-esque thing. Like, the creature was just this big, lumbering thing that wasn't very intimidating, and then they just kill it with electrocution. But they, they definitely took... John Carpenter took a lot of time to try and create something that's very otherworldly and different. Yeah, and you know, and it, it it it's one of John Carpenter's, I wouldn't say one of his earliest movies, but it's definitely among his earlier entries. Um it's it, yeah, it's and you and watching it you kind of learn you kind of get to see him starting to develop his style that he's very well known for. Yeah, and I think I mean in my personal opinion this is his my favorite of his films. Um and I'll get into that a little later, but he definitely uh He's a he's a director that has like a voice and a vision, yeah. and this one definitely, I think, personified. Yeah, and in... and I, I I like the choice this week, Adam, because it's not like your typical turn of the millennium, even the 2010, 2020 horror movies that rely so much on on CGI and and those effects. This is nineteen eighty two. Uh, practical effects were. The way they did it, and the practical effects of the movie still they hold it pretty decently still. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob Bottin, um did the um, the creature effects, um, and I believe he worked also with Stan Winston um, on it as well. I think Stan Winston was just helping out, but Rob Bottin, like everything in this, was pretty much practical except for some some slight like optical effects, like some matte paintings. Yeah, when yeah. they're doing like the showing you the ship and stuff like that, but. 
largely everything, and then I think there was also some stop motion, but um, but largely yeah. everything was done practically. And yeah, I think one of the big parts of stop motion that they ended up doing was, um, and if you guys haven't watched it, pause. Go watch the thing. Come back and, and hit up, pick up oh, right it here. Came out in 1982. Too late, I, you know? I don't think we need a spoiler warning. Anymore. We don't. But we, we, <laughs> before we recorded, we were talking about the movie, and my wife was just like, "I've never seen this." Yeah, and I I, I showed my girlfriend uh, this movie uh, about a year or so ago, and she has not forgiven me for it. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the one of the cool. Stop motion effects they use is when they are trying to defibrillate the character. I forgot. Yes, and um, and the the thing from for, that's in having that character the stomach opens yeah, up with the teeth, with the teeth and, and tries chops to off chop his arm. arm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was such a creepy shot. Um, I I just really love um, the setting of the entire film. I kind of like want to say like I don't know if it's kind. I know John Carpenter really um, enjoyed. Uh, H.P. Lovecraft, and I also enjoy H.P. Lovecraft, and I know um, at the Mountains of Madness, set in Antarctica, and so I don't know if that was kind of inspiration for him. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, John Carpenter uh, really did a great job creating, and then creating this whole Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's very well known, especially now, analyzing his, his, his history of work. He isn't a, a director who kind of just Flies by the seat of the pants. He creates and he envis- yeah. he envisions these elaborate worlds and backstories. And you know, I think one of the things that led to him success in this movie, even though it's, it wasn't a huge box office success at the no, time, it because actually, it, like I it think it was uh, like it was financially a flop, and I think critically panned. Like I don't think uh, critics really liked it, but it kind of found its legs later on. Um, yeah. Well, I mean. One of the things, and some and some of the research I did for this episode was um, this movie came out at the same time as E.T. Yeah, yeah. E.T., I think Blade Runner also came out similar Yeah, time. similar time. Um, Poltergeist, I also think, came out around yep. the same time as well. So it's, it's definitely, it came out at a weird time, and especially it being a hard-rated R alien story. Yeah. Well, you got to think, um, you know, doing the research. Obviously, obviously, by today's standards, the money it brought in was minuscule compared to you know, oh, yeah. your billion dollar films now. But it brought in nineteen point six million yeah, in nineteen eighty two. I think it cost about fifteen million to yeah. make in so nineteen eighty two. Probably with marketing, they probably broke even. Yeah, and I think I, I read somewhere that like one point five million was spent on just the practical effects alone. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is, uh, I, I think, um, this was kind of the, the first time I think, uh, John Carpenter really got like this poor, um, critical and like commercial representation in Hollywood. Cause he did, he did Halloween and that was very successful. Yeah. And still um, doing Halloween's. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but, um, I want to go back to you saying like how John Carpenter creates things. Um, yeah, he normally he does uh, all the music for his movies. Like yeah. Escape from New York, he did all the music for that. And if you're and Adam's favorite movie, Escape from L.A., <laughs> the surfing scene alone it makes that movie great. We'll cover that eventually, guys. <laughs> That's a movie you cannot no. not talk about. Yeah. Um, one of the things like John Carpenter is, is he's a very like he 
gets his fingers in pretty much as much as he can. Uh, but actually, this film, um, uh, Ennio Morricone um, did the soundtrack for okay. it. Okay, so you, you know him from like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, um, Hateful Eight. I think they actually used some original of the, Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah, they actually, and even the new one. I think they did actually they? used oh. some of the takes from the thing for the Hateful Eight, the new one. No um, idea. Yeah, but um, he's uh, Ennio, Ennio Morricone is one of my favorite. Um, composers but the one thing i really enjoyed was it still feels like a john carpenter score um because i think um he's he's probably heavy-handed invested in the recording i mean and there's there's a lot of backstory and i mean we weren't there so i don't want to speculate but i know um john carpenter always uh with his music kind of likes to say it's kind of like more background ethereal stuff like he never wants the music to like inform the scene or drive the scene is yeah, more it's, just there. It sets the mood for you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it's all like wallpaper almost <laughs> or yeah. like window dressing. It's it's there to get you in the mood but not push you towards yeah. something. It, you know, and I think for this movie too, um one of the things that John Carpenter is well known for is he really helped a lot of careers in this movie? Oh yeah, I mean, I de- he definitely uh, launched a lot of careers just in like special effects and special effects actors. I mean, you look at you look at you know like you said Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis got her her pretty big break with with Halloween. With Halloween, and then uh, like I mean, he's he's worked with Kurt Russell a bunch. Like he worked with him on like Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, from New York and. Um, and now the thing, and then like I think this was one of Keith David's first. It really put him on the map a little bit. First big role, because then and then he went to work with John Carpenter again on They Live. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think it was one of his first big roles. And yeah. It's like, oh, how did you, how did you find this guy? So funny fact about Keith David, I didn't know if you knew this, Adam, from this uh-huh. movie. Um, so the day before they started filming, he broke his left hand in an accident. Oh no. So. He showed up the set to film. His hand was so swollen and mangled that they sent him to the hospital to get it fixed. They put pins in his hand, and then they put a surgical glove over his hand and a black glove over that hand, over the glove, and painted it to match his skin complexion. So for the first half of the movie, you never see his left hand. I did not know that. I did. It's like that. it's one of those fun facts. Um, a little off topic, pretty off topic. The guy who played Scotty in the original Star Trek. Yeah, he was missing a chunk of his middle finger yeah. on one hand, and you almost never see that finger on screen. He always hides only, it. Only when he was holding the tribbles, yeah. like in that one. But like, yeah, you he, never really knew. Yeah, like, he he'd always type in on a console or hiding it behind a console. So yeah, one of those cool things that like, you don't know it until you know it. Exactly. And now that you watch it, and he told you, I guarantee next time you watch the movie, Adam, you're like, I don't see his left hand. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I rewatched it recently, and I, I if I if I knew that beforehand, I would be looking for it. It's one of those things that once you find out, you always it's like the um the Wilhelm scream. You know, what scream that is. Yes, yes. That Star Wars made very famous, and in, it's almost in every movie since 1940. We'll put, we'll put in a clip of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's the most iconic scream on TV, and yeah, um, I think actually. Just one last side note about that effect. The Wilhelm scream um, was not featured once in the new Star Trek, uh, Star Wars trilogy. They retired it from their movies. Yeah, it makes sense because it, it's become such a such an iconic. Like you, you can notice it. Yeah, immediately. So, um, but yeah, the um, 
Yeah, I really just love uh, this film so much. And then I want to mention one thing. The dogs in the beginning. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, if you want to... If there was an Oscar for animal acting, <laughs> that was, like, the, the creepy dog who is uh, the, the creature. Oh, yeah, the, the, the dog at the beginning. Did such a phenomenal job being, like, very distant and very, like different to the other dogs where and then the other dogs um in the kennel all reacting to him yeah was uh was amazing so i'm like hey props to props to that dog um and the trainer yeah but like i really want to uh mention like so it's like we mentioned how the norwegians come in they uh tried to shoot up the camp and uh, the one guy, she breaks a window. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's this is the Antarctic. You don't really want to break that. It's going to get very cold. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, this is pre-global warming, so yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, they were kind of doing this warning stuff, and they blow up their own chopper on accident. And yep. Blah, blah, blah. But then they decide to go to the actual uh, Norwegian's camp. And this is where we're going to kind of, I have to bring up the prequel a little bit. Because the prequel is more... And I haven't seen the prequel, so this is all new to me. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not worth it. But um, it's... Uh, it, you go to this camp and you see kind of this aftermath. Yeah, of, the, like, the wreck of the flying saucer. Well, you see the wreck, but you also see kind of what a lot of these characters that you never even met... Oh, yeah went through like you see a bloody axe in the wall you see a character that slit his own wrists and he, and so you see a lot of this stuff that you not like is not necessarily like told to you no so and it's kind of like showing you more than telling you it does and, and on it tells you a story it without. does and on subsequent watchings you watch it and go they didn't know their weakness yeah and then those shifty norwegians yeah well I mean, they did figure out how, like, burning it would help, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of, I liked how it was showing you more than telling you, um, and it, I think, I think that was great I think that's a good sign of a, of a, I mean, this is kind of a horror movie, it's not, it's a sci-fi horror movie, but I think it's always a good sign of a sci-fi horror movie is you, you're not told in, in, in the script you're not told by character dialogue yeah every little detail a lot of it's juxtaposition a lot of it is yeah just I'm, background scenes and it, you know on subsequent watchings you kind of start picking up on the clues well i think that's almost scarier it is it is just um, kind of being like oh there's something in the ice we don't know what it is one of my favorite movies that will four movies that will bring up later this month when i'm not saying what it is now does a great job of not showing you the the horror, the villain, mm. I guess per se, until the last five minutes of the movie, and it's just like you've seen a finger, you've seen a leg, and then you finally see yeah. it, and you're like, oh, yeah. And I mean, this this movie, I mean, is really good about like putting kind of little hints throughout mm -hmm. the film. Like, um, there's the scene where the dog goes into the room where you don't know who's sitting in that room, but you're like, okay, this yeah. is probably the first person to become the creature. Um, but you have no idea who that person is. And then, um, they kind of just throw little hints throughout the entire film, like little breadcrumbs, but still they, they don't, they don't blatantly show yeah. this 
like, oh, this Mac got this. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, I think you only know that Mac is kind of the one who... He's going to be the hero at the end of this. Yeah, he. it's like you you believe that he is not yeah, and it's taken it, over. But everyone well, else... Except for that one part when they get lost in the snowstorm. True, true. I mean, then, you try kind to, of, then you start thinking about it like, well, maybe he is. That's true. They, they do try to get that away. And then I guess the creature also like stole his long johns and tried to like shove them. Because that was a thing. Like yeah. apparently they've... It can't replicate a lot of different materials. And I think in the prequel they talk about like it can't replicate things huh. like piercings or like fillings or like metallic stuff but um but yeah that's kind of one of the things that they kind of touch on a little bit more in the prequel but please don't you don't need to watch it it you hear it here folks you can't replicate metallic things wear a lot of zippers yes yes but uh i I just love the um also the like just the dynamic between these like blue collar guys who are like yeah i'm a pilot i'm a cook yeah I'm, i'm i'm just maintenance yeah um, <laughs> and then you've got the, the base commander and then you got scientists yeah and it's a, it's a good dynamic yeah and apparently they they did a lot of rehearsal before filming so they all kind of got to know each other yeah. um really and well speaking as two people who did a lot of theater when we were younger it, that always it, it makes the performance that much better when you have that repertoire with your cast and your and your fellow crew members yeah absolutely you felt it, they felt like a like a group that knew each other. Yeah, and they've then, been stuck in the Arctic for five, six months at this point already. Yeah, and then, I mean, ultimately the um, the movie plays on kind of the three big fears. Mm-hmm. Fear of the unknown, paranoia, and isolation. Because they, Windows, who was their radio operator, can't get a signal out. Yeah, they're completely isolated and cut off from yeah, and then, anyone. Um Fear of the yeah. destroys the helicopter, and it's it becomes yeah. um, and Wolford Brimley without a without facial hair. Weird, very weird looking, but um, but yeah, no, it's uh, definitely plays on these uh, the big kind of my big three kind of I think classic fear yeah. tropes, and because no one trusts each other, no one and like Mac no. has that whole especially because you don't know who's going to be infected. There's no telltale sign. Yeah, until um, they figure out the the, the the blood test. The blood test, yeah, which was another cool practical yeah. effect. Um, really liked that one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean you just have no idea who's whom, and yeah, know, like other people could be infected, and you almost think like multiple people are infected at like one point, and you just are they're kind of playing it coy yeah um but uh yeah i also liked the kind of i i think john carpenter um being a big big fan of kind of classic horror films that's probably what he was brought up on there's a lot of like classic kind of like fade outs there was a little bit hitchcock-esque in some of those fade outs and like kind of also like some of the music stings like yeah Felt a lot more classic um, to me, and so I was like, "Oh, I really enjoy that um, a lot." <laughs> I could talk about this movie for like a decade, but um, but you know, no, I want to. But uh, one of the funny things I always think, like, they need need a flamethrower in Antarctica for. Obviously, Adam, you did not know slushies. Oh, okay, that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the kerosene and all that, yeah. but like. Yeah, they uh, 
It's just and like things off flamethrower. It uh, needs flamethrower. And this is me being very <laughs> practical and, 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 and logically thinking. Probably, you know, the helicopter ice is over and you need to defrost it a little bit and kind of <laughs> heat up the blade. We don't turn it on fire. <laughs> Well, folks, um, I think we've covered pretty much the intro to our, our topic this week. Let's move on, Adam, to our um, let's move on to our hot takes. Hot takes. What are they going to say this week? So uh, I'll let you kind of start. I've been, I know I've been talking. Oh, that's fine. Off, <laughs> talking your ear off. <laughs> oh no, I, I mean that's totally fine. This is one of your favorite movies, and you know I appreciate that you're very passionate about that. Yeah. Um. So you know I really don't have a lot of hot takes this week because you know it is, it is 1982. I wouldn't call it a B movie. At the oh. time, it wasn't a B movie. It kind of is in that lens now, just because of the age, and what people expect from horror movies today. I, I think today's modern audience not seeing it was like, oh, this is a B movie. It's not. Um, really, I think my hot take on this is, uh, what's his, I can't think of his name now. He, um, we just talked about him, mechanic. Oh, McCready? No, um, McCready's a pilot. Oh, um, Keith David? Keith David. Yeah. There we go. My hot take on this, having seen... This movie, well after Keith David had his career started, mm-hmm. and this is one of the catalysts for it, I kind of almost wish it wasn't him, because now seeing him in all the other movies he's done, he's almost a little typecast. He's always, you know, if you watch uh, Armageddon, you watch um, any kind of movie that's got a military presence, mm-hmm. he's always the military commander. He's always in the Army, the Air Force. He's always serving on the president's cabinet. I, I unfortunately think this movie kind of started that typecasting because he's he is a very blue mechanic, blue collar mechanic. Yeah, and he also like plays like he's played a cop. He's played he's he's a great voice actor. I mean, oh, he is Goliath. Mass Effect. I love him in in that as uh, Admiral Anderson as he, he is, becomes. He is Goliath. In him. <laughs> yes, he is a gargoyle. Yeah, and also uh, he played the Arbiter in Halo. Yeah. Yes, I mean voice acting. Another person we've talked about from we've covered a bunch of voice actors at this point. But yes, he is a he is an amazing voice actor. That deep, deep voice of his. Yeah, it's just it, you hear it, you know who it is, but you still appreciate the character he creates with his voice. Oh, absolutely. And this is one of those movies. Like I said, I I, I feel that it kind of typecast him, even though this is one of his first big movies. Um, that I'd like, I would have loved to see not so much a different actor, but maybe. Just a different side of, of him as an actor and, and not be this blue-collar kind of serious guy. Yeah, but when you think about it, it was one of his first It was, movies, it was. Yeah. And, and I'm only saying that in hindsight because I saw this after I've seen stuff like Armageddon and, yeah. and other movies he's been in. Um, I will say he is great in Armageddon because he is definitely the, the straight-laced guy compared to the rest of the guys in the movie. Well, and I want to ask you a question, actually. Um, so there there's a lot of uh, theories about the ending of the movie. Okay. Um, do you think Childs is a creature at the oh, end? It, there are days, there's times where I've seen it, I'm like, yes, this sets up a sequel. There are times where I watch it and go, eh, kind of ambiguous. And that's what I like about this movie. And this is pre, you know, 
pre, I guess, modern day movies that we watch where everything's going to have to have some set of a, of a potential sequel yeah. depending on how much money it makes. This wasn't the case in the, in the 70s, 80s, even some of the 90s. Movies were okay to be standalone. And this is one of those movies where it leaves it ambiguous enough that if we'd never seen another movie on this topic again, we'd be okay with the way it ended. Yeah. Uh, and if they did do a sequel, it has some some slight tie-ins to what that could be. Yeah. And I, I personally, I don't... I, I don't think it matters whether no. Childs is... Um, a creature or not it's kind of at that point it's like kurt russell's like well there's nothing we can do about it at this point like we're we blew up the base fucked. <laughs> there's no way to escape this area there's yeah. no way to tell anybody about this we're all so. gonna die <laughs> yeah we're gonna die of starvation so yeah. let's just have a glass of scotch the gym and, beam, yeah, and, and watch and watch our impending doom i do like the uh the chess uh the chess machine, him uh, destroying that at the beginning, yeah. was kind of funny. It's like you think, uh, <laughs> um, which was a cam- uh, cameo by John Carpenter's uh, then wife Adrienne Barbeau uh, as the voice of the chess machine. But yeah, he just pours his scotch in. And it's like cheating, bitch. <laughs> and you're like, that's probably a very expensive you piece know, of equipment. And, <laughs> and this is, here's another hot take for you, Adam. Now that you kind of talk about Kurt Russell a little bit in this one, I, I really really like the direction Kurt Russell went with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it really speaks to the, dy- the dynamic um, performance Kurt Russell can give because he's yeah. done the the badass like McCready. He's done Snake Plitzkin. He is Star-Lord's dad and a very wacky kind of thing. So yeah. he, I mean, he does a great job being able to Jack do... Jack Burton. Yes. <laughs> in Big Trouble in Little China. He, well, and it's like you can even say like he's played almost in... So he's been in like what bunch of John Carpenter films, but he almost plays a different. He's character. never. He's not like a Samuel L. Jackson where it's the same kind of guy. Yeah, he's he's completely different in each one. Like I think he based his Snake Plissken on like Clint Eastwood, and then like and then of John course, Wayne. Um, if you look at his Snake Plissken portrayal, Metal Gear Solid Snake is based off that. That is true. Yeah. Um, and you know we've talked about it before. It's one of my favorite video games. I'm trying to remember the movie he did. Um, there we go. I remember it now. One of my favorite Kurt Russell movies, totally off the wall, does not relate to anything he's done. Otherwise, Captain Ron. I don't. I don't. Yeah, oh, okay, one. people. Um, Captain Ron. Just a quick overview because it's not part of today's thing. Captain Ron. Kurt Russell plays the captain, uh, captain for hire of a little dinghy that his family on vacation hires him for, and he's just an alcoholic, off the wall kind of. Beetlejuice character almost. Oh, there you go. I'll have to check that one out. Like I haven't, I haven't seen that one. Um, I'll I'll jump into just like I mean I guess my hot takes is like it's my favorite John Carpenter film, and I believe John Carpenter is even said that it's his favorite of his films. But um, because it was so critically and financially panned, um, I believe it kind of started this downhill this downhill spiral for him where he didn't want to make movies anymore and that's very sad because i really like him and um i think he's a great director but also i think john carpenter has kind of got ruined by almost cgi has kind of ruined films for him because yeah he was always better as a more practical effects guy and um my other hot take is i i don't know about you but i think practical effects are much more realistic to me as a 
film viewer than any sort of CGI. I do, and that's one thing we we talked about a little bit in in some of our first in our first themed episode in Kenobi. Mm-hmm. You know, Star Wars. You know, the prequels went a route where they had a lot of. CGI. It was 100% yeah. CGI. There was very very little practical scenes, set pieces, yeah. and the sequel trilogy did a great job of returning it back to those roots. And I think as great as CGI can be, I think less is more in a lot of places. I, mean, I will always say Yoda was always more real to me as a puppet than yeah. he was as a fighting green yeah. frog bouncing around the Senate. I, I liked it better seeing the realistic stuff. And also as, like, as, as an actor... I mean, I know that we we haven't been in that game in a while, but um, I would much rather see something. <laughs> and it benefits you as an actor having a reference. Yeah. Instead of going, hey, look at this dot on this on this stick uh, or something. on a stick that's attached to someone's head, and that's your visual point. Yeah. For me, that'd be. I, I mean, granted, film does a lot more that you don't do on stage since we were primarily stage actors. Yeah. Um. But that I, I think that'd be so hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and and speaking of the practical effects part, I mean, I think, like I said, less is more. If you look at Wrath of Khan and, and the early Star Trek movies, those are all practical Starship yeah. models. Even Next Gen and 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 those the shows, that was a practical physical model they filmed around. Oh yeah. And it looks I still think better than some of the modern Trek shows. No, absolutely. I, I think it kind of gives it more how do I say this? Like more weight. Like I think it's more it, weight. It, it feels it, it's got a texture to it. Yeah, it, there's something something about it. And I mean, again, big shout out. Rob Botine um, did amazing practical effects for this. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're wanting to check out uh, other films that he worked on, like we got RoboCop, we got Total Recall, and then Seven, which is one of my favorite um, thrillers. Which you almost think is not really something that's like a practical effect thing, but all the gore yeah all the gore um that's all rob botine and yeah he he did a fantastic job and i mean again like talking about like just launching someone's career it's like yeah he's doing the thing <laughs> and then he becomes this amazing powerhouse practical effects artist and um yeah so no i agree i think there's just something about it that just feels it, it hits you a little different it feels a little more visceral, a little more it, it, tangible. It, it does. And, you know, yeah, the stop motion, I mean, it, compared to today's practical effects, can be a little, I wouldn't say janky, but very obvious at stop motion. But it still holds up very well. Yeah, I mean, stop motion... It's I, done it's right. Like, yeah. It's done right. Like, I mean, if you watch, like, Jason and the Argonauts and those sort of older stop motion ones, they, they do look a little clunky, but they're still, like, talent that went yeah. behind oh, it. God, oh god yeah that was insane but um i um but i just really prefer seeing things like in the real more i agree if, you, if that makes sense um it it just connects with me a lot more and that'll go into um possibly our next episode a little yeah some more red more practical effects driven yeah so but uh, yeah, um, do you have any uh, like conclusions? Yeah, you, we can wrap this one up a little bit. Um, so you know, my conclusions on this on this on this film, uh, you know, I think it it's one of those cult movies that actually does stand up to time. I mean, this movie's forty years old now. Yes, 
And yeah, it, it it looks like it's forty years old because of technology and how we view things now. And, oh, and but did you watch it in in HD? I did. Okay, because I will say the cinematography of it yeah. is spot on. Like it is, and that and that's where it holds up. Is and that's where it holds awesome. up. Is is practically you know the, the effects, the acting, it all holds up. You know, there. I mean, you can tell the movies from nineteen eighty two with. Some of the some of the sound, some the, of the the chess wizard, the chess wizard, and the, obviously some of the practical set pieces because it's reflective of the t- of its time. Yeah. Um. So I will say that, but I think in a conclusion, you know, this movie really I think started cementing John Carpenter's legacy yeah. as a as a science fiction kind of horror <laughs> director and writer. Yeah. I think it really showcases his eye for talent when it comes to casting choices and and crew choices. Oh, yeah. Um, like we said earlier, I mean, you've, you've got some he, guys... He tends to work with the same people often. He's, so. he's very kind of Tim Burton in that respect, that he has a kind of a core people he likes to work with, yeah. and they really like to work with him. And that yeah. says a lot when you have people who want to work with the same director over and over again because they know hey, you know, it may not be the movie that's going to make me... All the money. It's not going to make me yeah. an Oscar, but it's going to be fun to make and be respected as an artist. And we're going to put out a good product at the end of the day, yeah, no matter what. Absolutely, I I completely agree. I think, uh, I mean, it's again, it, I, and you don't see that in a lot of today's Hollywood. No, not at all. And I, I mean, I was I tried to watch the new Jurassic World movie. I'm sorry. Turned it off after it's, a few minutes because I couldn't stand it. I was like, I, it's I such, just can't. <laughs> it, but it's like... I, I, I almost want to say we didn't need to call this the Off-Topic Podcast, but there's a podcast I listen to called Off-Topic. Subscribe to me first. Um, <laughs> but going off-topic on that, that movie is such a fan service movie. Yeah. Well, I, I liked the... I mean, the first Jeff Goldblum is shirtless again. Yeah, well, I didn't get that far. I it's I had definitely to towards the end because they want people to watch for that. <laughs> yeah, but um, that you know, does not I, hold up. Jeff Goldblum kinda, is sh- shirtless today does not hold up. Yeah, I just kind of feel like there's there's very few directors that are good working with not only their crew but also their actors, and I think John Carpenter was always very good at doing kind of both. Um, and I mean, you can watch uh, In the Mouth of Madness uh, is another good film of his, very H.P. Lovecraft. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, you just he works with the same people and people just seem to want to work with him. So, I mean, just my conclusion is like it, I, I'm very sad to not see him making as much anymore and like granted i know he made the like whatever ghosts of mars and that wasn't so good and um the vampires one wasn't so good yeah but i mean i mean any prolific director is going to have some duds yeah and so i think uh he's he definitely this is i think his masterpiece is the thing yeah um because it's like i i though i enjoy um Escape from New York a lot, though I enjoy and the Mouth of Madness, though I enjoy um, Christine. I, I just, uh, this this was the thing that cemented him for yeah. me as, like, one of the greatest directors of all well, time. Well, and imagine this. I'm not sure if you knew this. Um, so, you know, prior to this movie, he, John Carpenter's very independent filmmaker still. Oh, yeah. He wasn't their first choice for this movie. 
I think I read something about that. There was like another script going around. I think it, it was, was Toby Hooper. Yeah, the director of ta- the original Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, Master. yeah. He was really signed on to direct when he bought the rights to this film. Yeah, but I think it's a different script that they used. It's or different, um, but I, I'm not sure why it fell through. But I just sometimes, you know, reading that, I think about you know how good the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was. Oh yeah. Maybe this movie wouldn't have had so much practical effects. Can you imagine the gore? Oh yeah, it, this well, would have had if it was. I mean, opera. if you if you kind of remember, I mean, everyone thinks the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was this like gore fest. It wasn't, not compared it, to the new one. Like, oh, definitely not compared to the new one. <laughs> but um, no, I I think, uh, but it would have been, it would have hit a little different. But I'm I'm kind of glad John Carpenter got on board. And also, like one of the things I want to say, uh, like one of my favorite web series. Uh, Red Letter Media, they do a show called Review, and they talk about, they did an episode about The Thing, and so if some things kind of echo from them, like, I'm not trying to plagiarize, but I, it's just sort of like, hey, we're kind of, we're seeing the same things and um, all that, but if you want, like, kind of a deeper dive into The Thing, I would definitely check them out, redlettermedia.com. They're fantastic. They're hilarious. Check out their best of the worst, their review, all that. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Matt. Yeah. Um, I, you know, folks, um, it's that time of the week we've kind of talked about the thing um, somewhat in depth. I mean, obviously, we could keep going on and on and on, um, but we want you guys to not get bored of our voices. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's that time of the week. We actually had a Chad setting today. He showed up for this filming yes. of, or this yeah, recording was, of the podcast. He was right here. Um, but as we hit record, it turns out Chad was just a very elaborate practical effect. Yeah, we I had no idea they could do that with makeup, but I guess I didn't either, but when 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 uh when you actually kicked his shins and he fell over and was a cardboard cutout. Yeah. I was like, huh. Yeah, it was it was so surprising. I wondered why he wanted a high five the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I I, so. I kept being like, All right, we're going up. Yeah. We're so. going up. Oh okay. Oh I guess you don't want it, but yeah. But, yeah. you know, you, you live, you learn. Money. Won't be fooled twice on that one. <laughs> Good try, Chad. Good try, Chad. Did you use all our sponsorship budget on that? Yeah, I mean... That uh, oh, I bet you cheap. he... Oh, was there, a, did it, was there a sponsor thing at the bottom? A little blurt. I bet you that's where he got the money. Mm. Chad. Chad. Hot Topic. It was Hot Topic, wasn't it? Or Spencer's. I thought he had a new eyebrow piercing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh well, folks, you know it's that time of the week. It's time for our geek record of the week. So, Adam, what are you geeking on this week? Uh, so, they um, first off, I mean, as of uh, us recording this uh, episode on Wednesday the fifth, um, it's Clive Barker's birthday, and uh, there's a new Hellraiser uh, that's coming out this month that I'm really excited about. I think uh, it'll be. Uh, really cool um and hopefully it gets good reviews i know i liked the first hellraiser a lot the second one was all right but the rest of them were kind of garbage but um so i'm kind of excited for that um to see what this new one on hulu is gonna be also um cd project red announced a bunch of new witcher games coming out and a sequel to cyberpunk 2077 which i i if I recall, didn't do so well. It didn't, but the new the the mm-hmm. show that came out in in relation to it really boosted its uh, okay. gameplay. I haven't played it because I just after everything that went bad with it, I never even turned it, plugged it in. 
but I'm willing to give it a try now because I've, yeah. I've heard it's improved a lot. I hear the next gen, or like the PlayStation 5, the Xbox Series S, or S and X versions are much more... It was developed for those, yeah. for those platforms. Because yeah. um, I, I think I initially bought it on my first generation Xbox yeah. One, and it did not play well. But, um, I hey, I'm excited to see what they what they bring and I might uh jump back in and see what uh what's new and exciting. Yeah, what 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 is Geralt up to now? Geralt, sorry. Geralt. Jesus. And I've seen it and played the games. <laughs> His name is not Jesus. His name is Geralt of Rivia. Well the way you talk about Henry Cavill, he might as well the be butcher, Jesus to you. <laughs> I mean he's the butcher of Blaviken. Um as you can tell I'm a big fan of the Witcher uh books and uh games and the show. Um so but uh <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that. That's kind of my recs of the week. Yeah. Um. So my rec of the week, I've actually kind of plugged it back in and started playing a PS3 classic. Ooh. Um. Assassin's Creed Three. The the Ooh. American Revolution one. Oh yeah, the one with uh, what's his face. Um. It's the Conway. Conway. Yeah, it's the beginning of the Conway trilogy. Okay, yeah, but this is the one where he's the Native American. Native American, yeah. Okay, I I never played that. I kind of got burnt out on the Assassin's Creed games. This one I think was my wasn't my favorite, but I really enjoyed it because my my bachelor's degree is in American history, so for me it was like the thing Assassin's Creed does very well is touch on historical topics. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with a sci-fi kind of element to it. A little spin, <laughs> yeah. But I mean the history, the history behind a lot of the stuff that's going on in this game, is top notch and and mm-hmm. reflects a lot what's going on, what really happened. So that's kind of my why I, my replay value on it. And it, they did re release it for PS4 um, before they phased out that console. So okay. I picked up the PS4 copy and I've been playing it again and it, it, yeah. it's fun. Is anyway. there something like weird with the PlayStation 3's like architecture where it doesn't allow you to kind of. Properly, like it, that was kind of the reason they didn't have a lot of backwards compatibility. Didn't have any backwards compatibility yeah. from the four to the three. They had to re-release them on the four. Yeah. Um, the five doesn't have the backwards compatibility with three, but the PlayStation Now network, their their library games, does have that compatibility. Okay, gotcha. All right. So that's my my record of the week, guys. Um, but that wraps up today's episode of uh, the thing. Yes. Yes. Please. Check it out. Um, if, Let us know what you think. If you haven't seen it, it's I think it's a masterpiece. Um, also, please like, comment, subscribe. Follow us. Follow us. Uh, recommend something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we, we love to talk about tell us. Tell us your geek record of the week and we'll look into it. Yeah, definitely. We, we'd love to find out uh, anything new that we can uh, check out. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, for, follow, uh, for listening to another episode of the Have a Drink with Some Geeks podcast. Yep. We look forward to talking to you guys next week on week two of Spooktober. Yes, yeah, Spooktober. All right. Well, thank you guys. You guys have a great week. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Have a Drink with Some Geeks podcast. Tune in next week to see what our geeky host will discuss next week. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>